You're listening to audio from Seven Mile Road Church in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. If you'd like to check out more of our resources or learn more about our church, please visit sevenmilewaltham.com. Okay, so it's um, near enough to the 4th of July, so you may have heard these words recently. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You may have heard that. If not, it's from the Declaration of Independence. Of those last three, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness seems to me to be the most ambiguous line. Most of us don't really care about Aristotle or Epicurus or the Stoics, so we tend not to think about whether happiness is the result of a life lived well by virtue or is happiness a life lived well by pursuing the most pleasure possible. So if you ask me at different stages of my life, what's happiness? I wrote down some things that I would think. I think that these are true of me. At age 10, happiness would have been playing sports. Not that complicated. Age 15, a much more complicated age, I think we can agree. My happiness would have been having a pretty girlfriend or spending lots of time playing sports with friends. At age 20, happiness would be playing lots of soccer in college, finding a wife. Age 25, first year of seminary, happiness would have been getting a PhD. Age 30, I'm working at a construction company. We have a three-year-old, we have a one-year-old on the way. We're all experiencing this global pandemic. Happiness would have been just keeping my job. This week, many times, happiness was just finishing the sermon, being ready to come in and preach. So if you notice at different parts of my life, I pursued happiness in different ways. Sports or a relationship or keeping my job, even finishing this sermon. And if we had you all fill in a survey on the way in and we're like, what are the things that would make you the happiest if you had them? I bet we'd have at least 25 to 30 different responses. I took some shots at what I think you might say. Happiness is chocolate ice cream. Some, some heads nodding. Happiness is a long life and a good long marriage. Happiness is when my kids are happy. Happiness is having a meaningful job. Happiness is more championships for my team or financial security, or a really, really good food and a cold beer after a hard day's work. Happiness is that two-week vacation where I'm completely off the grid. So here's something interesting. This psalm gives us something very different at, as what is our happiness. It's different than some of those things on our list, and it may not even include any of those things on that list. The good life, the blessed life, the happy life, probably doesn't even include any of those things necessarily. And this psalm shows us how to get the happiest life now, today, and for the rest of our lives. So we're going to jump in Psalm 32. If you have a physical Bible, it's like a third to half of the way in. And if you have your phone, you can just find psalms in the table of contents. We're going to start in verse 1. A masculine of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
All right, a maskil. What's that? So this word highlights that this psalm is about wisdom. It's about how we live within God's ways of wisdom in the world. How we swim with the current of wisdom and not against the current of wisdom. And David's sharing this wonderful discovery about the happy life that he learned from a very hard experience. So he starts both verse 1 and 2 with this word, blessed. Another way to translate that would be happy. And if you pick up the Psalms and you just start reading, the last time, you would, if you read from 1 to chapter 32, Psalm 32, you would have only seen that word twice in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. In Psalm 1, we learn that blessed or happy is the one who meditates and lives by the word of God. And then in Psalm 2, we see that blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord's anointed king, the one who trusts in the Son of God. And so the book of the Psalms opens by showing us this way to the happy life, which is we trust in the Son of God, Yahweh's king, while we live and are guided by the word of God. So if you're taking notes, here's some application already. We must define the good life or finding happiness by what God shows us, not by what our hearts tell us or advertisers or other people tell us will give us happiness. And David's telling us, this is how God defines the happy life. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And so there's one reality we need to accept to find this happy life, is that all of us are sinners. And refusing to believe that makes finding the happy life that God shows us more difficult. It results in us pursuing happiness outside of God through created things, things that will never actually satisfy us fully. And if we refuse to believe that we're sinners, we will identify the right, we will identify the symptoms, like we're not happy. But we're going to be starting with the incorrect assumptions, and then we're going to end up choosing the wrong medicine that will fulfill us. We need the right course of treatment. So there's a reality we have to accept. You and I are sinners. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. David uses three different words to talk about human evil. Did you notice them? He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So that's rebellion breaking God's law. He says, whose sin is covered. That's when we turn away from God's ways, choosing our ways. And then he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity is that guilt that we incur because of our sin. What happens when we commit a crime against God's will and require punishment? So the assumption in the psalm is that all of us will commit these evils. The only way to happiness is to have them forgiven, to have them covered. And so here's where we start to get insight into how to pursue the happiest life for us. The good life, the one where we have the most joy, the most delight, is when the Lord doesn't credit our sin against us. If you've ever opened up your cash app or Venmo and someone accidentally paid you $40 for last night's dinner instead of requesting $40 for last night's dinner, They've credited something to your account in the exact opposite way than was necessary, and you're going to pay them back eventually, but you're going to make them ask for it, because that'll be funny. 
So you didn't pay for dinner, and now you're getting paid for dinner. It's amazing. So that is, that's really funny when it happens. And Dave is talking about something way deeper and more amazing. He's saying that the thing that makes us happiest in our lives, and it makes us happy for a little bit when somebody accidentally gives us money, but the thing that will give us the most joy, the most delight, is when the Lord God doesn't credit to our account the transgression and the sin and the iniquity that we have committed. And what's interesting about that language is that it actually points to something that God does credit to our account. And here's how I know that, is that that language of the Lord accounting something to someone only occurs twice in the entire Old Testament. It occurs here in Psalm 32, and then it occurs in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, God has given Abraham these promises, and Abraham believes the Lord. In Genesis 15, it says, he believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, credited it to him as righteousness, or counted it to him as righteousness. So despite all the bad that David had done up to this point, or all the bad Abraham had done up to this point, and then all the bad that he's going to do after, when Abraham trusted himself and his future to the Lord and his promises, that faith was credited to Abraham as full righteousness, as if Abraham's fully kept the law. So that same reality that is talked about in Genesis 15 is being talked about here in Psalm 32, just from the negative side. The blessed life is when the Lord doesn't credit guilt to our lives, but he removes it from our account. This idea takes us straight into the heart of the gospel of Jesus, and it actually flips us all the way to the book of Romans, where Paul takes both of those ideas, Genesis 15 and Psalm 2, and shows us in particular how only trusting in Jesus leads us to the happiest life. So I think these are going to be up on the screen. This is Romans 4, and you'll, you'll notice in Romans 4 that both Genesis 15 and Psalm 32 are being quoted. So Paul says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. That is, like, when we work our jobs, we don't expect the paycheck as a gift. We expect it because we've worked for it. And before God, if we are going after our own righteousness before him, we're trying to stack up all the things that we've done wrong against all the things that we've done right, and expect those to level out. But that's not how the law works. If we break it at one point, we've broken the whole thing and are guilty of it. And so we need a different way to be counted righteous. And so Paul goes on, he says, now to the one who works, yeah, in the next one, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes the verse from today, Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul's saying that both Abraham and David in our passage today show us that this faith in God who credits to our account our faith as righteousness that this is the way that God's people have always needed to relate to God after the fall of Adam and Eve. It's not the keeping of God's law that's going to make us right with him because we're unable to keep that law perfectly. It's faith. Faith is what makes us righteous before God. 
And the great news of the gospel is that if we follow Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven and we can draw near to God. So it's the gospel then that leads us to the happiest life possible. And the happy life feels like this. Notice at the end of verse 2, he says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. The happy life feels like that. It's where we have complete integrity between how we present ourselves and how we really are internally. Not perfection, integrity. So according to this psalm in Genesis 15 and Romans 4, the only way to be happy is when we find our righteousness as a gift by faith. That frees us to actually have integrity, to not need to hide what we're like on the inside because we know every transgression, every sin, all the iniquity has been covered over by the grace of God in Jesus. So now we've kind of landed at one of the big ideas. So if you're taking notes, here's a good one to write down. Being near to God is the happy life. Nearness to God is the happy life. Which means we have to let go of the other ways that we're pursuing happiness, of we're trying to define happiness. Having our sins forgiven by faith, not by our working, is the way to the deepest joy and greatest happiness. So we need to pursue this and let go of the other pursuits as if those are the things that are going to make us happy. What happens if we choose not to believe that, though? If we actually decide we want to have deceit in our hearts, we're going to try to hide from God. This is what David's going to detail for us. This is what happens. We're in verse 3 and 4 now. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When we hide our sin inside, we lack integrity. We lack wholeness. Why should we live our life free from trying to deceive God? Having no deceit in our spirit. When we've sinned, we try to cover it up. We don't speak about it to God. We don't confess it to one another. We try to keep it covered over in silence. In Genesis 3, when the man and the woman break God's one command, they live by their desires, what they think is best, their wisdom instead of God's word, what is it they do? They hide. They hide from God. And so what we see here, David's stubbornness is not one of a kind. It's not unique to David. It's representative for all of us. We all do this by nature and by choice. In Romans 1, Paul says that we have this tendency as humans to suppress the knowledge of God because of our sin. Our preference, because we're sinners and we know it and we don't love it, is that instead of trying to have integrity with God, we try to hide from him. Or worse, we try to act like he doesn't exist. We're like toddlers who think that hiding their face in the middle of the room while playing hide-and-seek is a foolproof strategy. They can't see me. I can't see them. I'm good. It's cute, but it's not a good strategy for hide-and-seek. And neither is our attempt to deal with our sin by hiding it and refusing to acknowledge it to God. He knows. That's actually the path if we're reading the psalm right, to the unhappy life, the miserable life. David tells us the consequences for lacking inner integrity before God is anguish. Like our bones are becoming brittle, like they're rapidly decaying and aging inside of us. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? 
I hope you have. If not, well, it's not a huge spoiler, but the movie's like 40 years old, so <laughs> that's on you. Near the end of the movie, the protagonist, Donovan, they're trying to find the cup of the Holy Grail. And Donovan takes the wrong cup, and he drinks from it, which causes him to rapidly age and die before everybody's shocked eyes. He grows old, his hair grows really long, his skin starts to shrink and then is eaten away, till just his skeleton remains, and then he falls against the wall and he crashes to the floor, dust and bones. And then in the cinematic understatement of the decade, the knight says, he has chosen poorly. David is telling us that when we hide, in our, hide our sin inside, in our bones, we feel it. There's this inner dying away in us because of our hiding. We have chosen poorly, and we're suffering for it. We may not be speaking to God, but our conscience is screaming out inside of us to let the knowledge of this sin out. So here's another principle for us that we need to remember. When we don't speak our sin to the Lord, we are the ones who suffer. When, we're the, when we don't confess our sin to God, we are the ones who suffer. So maybe you've wondered, why is it I feel so miserable when I don't confess my sin? If you're here and you're not yet believing Jesus, maybe this is the first time you've thought about it. And hopefully some dots are starting to get connected. It's the Father, God, convicts us of our sin. Because our sin distorts our relationship with him. And it leads us away from the happy life, which is nearness to God. Silence is what characterizes our spiritual life when we refuse to confess our sin. When we're silent, our minds and our consciences are afflicted by the guilt and our, the conviction of God. It's like we've been at the beach all day, and it's 90, 95 degrees, and we have no water, and we have no shade. It started out awesome. But now we're miserable, and we're sunburnt, and we can't talk. It's how our souls feel when we conceal our sin, when we refuse to tell God about it, and the Lord is convicting us of it. And he convicts us for our good so that we can actually be near him because being near the Father is the happy life. So after David hides his sin like this and feels the consequences, then he tells us about a discovery that he made in verse 5. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Most of the time, we don't go to God with our sin because we don't believe he is who he says he is. We're full of unbelief. It, it's really important to find the happy life that we believe God is who he says he is, that what the Spirit says in the Word is revealing his true nature and character. David says, let me confess my sins to the Lord. But who is this Lord, Yahweh, that David has in mind? He has something like this in mind. In Exodus, when the Lord reveals himself to Moses, this is who he says he is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, Forgiving, notice these specific words, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Same thing David's talking about in Psalm 32. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Yahweh, the Lord God, is gracious. 
He will forgive our sins. He said that's his character in nature. He wants us to live by faith in him and not by faith in ourselves. In Hebrews, we're told, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. David says, I caused my sin to be known. He gives a comprehensive confession. He's not hiding. He names all three of the types of evil, transgression, iniquity, sin. And it's important for us that we find the way that God has created for us to have our sin and our guilt removed because that's the way to the happy life that we've been created for and our hearts long for the most. So it's important to remember that the Lord is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so there's two things that we need to know and we need to practice to stay near to God. Two things to know and practice to stay near to God. One, keep believing, continual faith in Jesus. The second is quick confession of our sin. So being near the Lord is the happy life, and we stay near by confessing faith in Jesus and quickly turning from our sin. It's a daily pattern for those of us who follow Jesus. This is the rhythm of following him, trusting in Jesus and turning from our sin. Turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus. We confess our faith in Jesus who gives us his righteousness as a gift, and we confess and turn from our sins in faith that Jesus death covers over our sins. This is the happy life. This is it, he's saying. Forgiveness of our sins. If that's true, how do we make sure we don't miss out on the happy life? So David's going to give us some of his reflections after his discovery in verse 6 and 7. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So David gives us a command that flows out of this discovery that God forgives sins. He says, let all the faithful, let all the godly pray. Be quick in confessing our sins. This is what godliness looks like. Quick confession, not perfection. This is how we stay near God. This is how we stay happy. Quick confession, not perfection. And if we're stubborn and we refuse to confess our sins, we're actively endangering our own lives and our own happiness. He says, pray at a time when God may be found. David is giving us a warning. He's saying, surely, this is certainly true. There's a time to confess your sin, and there's a time that if you wait, you may no longer be able to do so. One time I was at my parents' house in West Virginia, and it rained a lot. And they showed me how this hill next to their house just floods the water down, down to the level ground. Once the rain hit a critical threshold, it just flowed down. And there was no way to stop the water flowing down, just right under their backyard, into their fence, under their fence. And nothing stopped it really except for the rain stopping. Flash floods can't be stopped. You just have to endure them and hope the damage is minimal. Refusing to pray and confess our sins to God is like standing in the path of a flash flood area when it's raining. The flood may not come, but it's likely going to come. And when it does, you're in danger because you can't stop it. 
holding on to our sin is dangerous. Where God's wrath is on us for our sin, it, transgression, iniquity, it's not removed from our account and transferred to Jesus, who died in the place of sinners. And it's dangerous. And then David ends with this prayer. It's basically about God's work for David. He says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. We can pray this when we know that the Lord forgives our sins, that he is gracious to sinners. Jesus came and showed us that the Father loves saving sinners. He delights in saving us so that we might be near him instead of far from him. And Jesus frees us to truly trust that God is safe. God is our safety, and God is the one who saves us. So I've talked, I've said the word nearness a lot, and you may be wondering where I got that, because David hasn't suggested anything about that yet. I got it from the next section, verses 8 to 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So this is the Lord speaking. He says, I will instruct you, or literally, let me make you wise. This is a wisdom psalm. We must be taught by God what true happiness actually is, because we're prone to find it in everything but God. But look at how great God is, and look at how gracious he is. He delights in showing us how to live wisely and in protecting us as we do so. He says, let me show you. Let me instruct you. So are we teachable by the scriptures? Are we putting ourselves underneath the scriptures so that we might be instructed by God? Especially when it comes to the happy life. Are we trusting God's word and finding our deepest joy, our deepest delight? Because living by the Lord's wisdom means that we're not stubborn, but we're humble and teachable. His gospel trains us to be like this. God says, let me counsel you with my eye upon you. We're showing us God's intimate care, his concern and connection to our lives. And he gives some instruction to those who confess their sin. He says this, don't be a stubborn mule <laughs> that requires manhandling to do the right thing. So mules don't understand what needs to get done, how fast it needs to get done, why it needs to get done, what time of the year it needs to get done. The horse has limited understanding, and it's only going to stay near its owner when it's constrained and forced by a bit and a bridle. So our confession of sin is like that. It restrains us from running wild and running away from God by our own desires, like a wild animal to our own hurt. If we learn to trust God's wisdom and confess our sin regularly, we won't be like that, an animal who runs away from what is good for it. We'll confess our sin quickly instead of hiding it. And this becomes the regular habit of our lives if we know God through Jesus. Because being near the Father is the happy life. We stay near by confessing our faith in Jesus and quickly turning from our sin. And the way to stay near God is confession, not perfection. In verse 10, we have this concluding wisdom statement. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The wicked then are those who stubbornly 
live in unbelief and won't confess their sins to God. Many waters or sorrows are coming. Faith is the key for us in rightly relating to God. Faith in how he's revealed himself, his nature, his character. Faith in how he's revealed our identity. We are sinners, but in Christ we are saved by grace. Faith that Jesus' work actually covers over our sins, and through him we are loved and accepted and righteous. Being near the Father is the happy life. David ends by saying this, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, so righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We are righteous by faith. We are given it as a gift, and when that's true, our response is thankfulness, gratitude, because our forgiveness is a gift that we haven't earned, but Jesus has earned for us. And when we know we're righteous by faith in Jesus, this is what happens when we know that God has pardoned our guilt. We rejoice. We're happy, blessed, joyful, thankful. Application for today is, like, is very simple, and I've already said it. Find your happiness by being near to God. We do that by trusting in Jesus daily and by quickly confessing our sins, not hiding them. We find our happiness by being near to God through daily believing in Jesus and by quickly confessing and turning from our sin. So as we close, let's sing together with thankful and joyful hearts in Christ who has made us clean and brought us near to the Father.